When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction and free shipping. And that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. It's Flames Nation Radio, episode number 16. Brought to you or delivered to you by our friends at DoorDash and by Eau Claire Distilleries, Rupert's Whiskey, the official whiskey of the Calgary Flames. Speaking of whiskey, this last, you know, we're recording on Wednesday evening at about 8 p.m. Mountain after a game that, to be very charitable, you didn't need to drink to make this game entertaining. It was a, a very entertaining game. I'm Ryan. I'm with Shane, as always. And we're here to talk about three Calgary Flames games and some potential uh, targets for the Flames to upgrade on the blue line if they see fit to grab some more depth. Shane, how are you doing? I am just, uh, you know, I thought the football ended on Sunday, but then the Flames just keep scoring touchdowns. So, I mean, I'm okay with it right now. I'm loving it. The, uh, the whole fan base is lit up. We're having a good time. The Flames are back playing the way even better than they were on that five-game stretch when they won all the road games to start the year. It is a fun time to watch Calgary Flames hockey right now. So since since we last spoke to you, friends, the uh, the Calgary Flames have played three games. Uh, and, we'll, and we'll touch on the game the week before because it's very much a continuation of this. Basically, dating back to that, uh, that one-sided loss against Ottawa where the Flames looked like you know, maybe they forgot when the game was. But outside of the Ottawa game, the last four games, the, the win over Florida at home, the win or the loss to Edmonton and Edmonton, uh, the win over St. Louis at home, and the, the road victory over the Columbus Blue Jackets uh, on Wednesday night, the Flames have been, for lack of a better term, full marks. They, uh, the, the game against Florida last Tuesday, they outplayed. And really, this flummox can, and contained the, the, the Florida Panthers, a very high-octane offensive team uh on uh on the weekend against Edmonton you know I think the only thing the Flames did wrong was he was very similar Shane if you recall to the the Flames opening night loss uh on opening night they lost 5-2 to Edmonton because of an empty net goal and a couple uh, bad penalties that led to Edmonton power play goals because hot damn just don't let them do that because Edmonton has a 30 percent power play and some very special players who can kill you and, and this time it was Bouchard. It wasn't even McDavid. It was Evan Bouchard. They're they're one another first round pick. Really skilled. He's really skilled. I'm actually developed for them. He's he's very they, good. They they he's a he's a nice young man. They got they and a nice young man who happens to have Connor McDavid and Leon Draisaitl teeing up one timers from the point for him. I mean, you know, some guys are fortunate, and 
you know, the Flames very much took penalties they didn't need to take in that game. Both both the opening night game, that was the, if you remember, folks, that was the game where Rasmus Anderson just lost his mind at points and took a couple extra minors he didn't need to take. And then against, uh, against Edmonton, the Flames just took some sloppy defensive zone penalties they didn't need to take. And they got bit in the butt for it. But outside of that, I mean, the, the Flames outchanced Edmonton at 5-1-5, both regular chances, nine dangers. They did everything but beat Miko Koskinen. And honestly, they three goals against Miko Koskinen probably would have been enough had they not gotten the penalty trouble. And then they go into St. Louis, and you know, let's let's call a spade a spade chain. It was a schedule win. St. Louis had played the night before in Vancouver against Vancouver's fourth string goalie, Spencer Martin. And Spencer Martin played really well but he's also just not a high-end NHL goaltender yet and Vancouver outshot uh, St. Louis I think it was something like 39-15 or 39-19 it, it was almost 40 to less than 20 in terms of the shots and St. Louis won because they had some really good performances from their goaltender Billy Husso and they had a very good performance from some of their key forwards notably Jordan Cairo and yeah they they they, they were their skill players were better than Vancouver skill players and Vancouver happily missing what Brock Besser, every goalie they've ever had. And some, you know, everyone sort of, uh, it's a very discombobulated team. So Van- Vancouver lost. It wasn't like St. Louis won. It was a Vancouver loss, but St. Louis, you know, played the night before it was uh, an 8 PM mountain start in, in Vancouver. They hopped on a plane, came to Calgary at 7 PM start here. So it was, you know, the game started 23 hours after their, their previous game had started and they score the first goal and then they just didn't know how to play hockey anymore. And the flames, they were very good and the blues were very ungood, but I think, you know, the, the flames took it to St. Louis and did not let up. And it wasn't until the third period when they simply seemed to just go, okay, let's just not kill these guys too much. And you know, it was, it was very I don't one-sided. think they really gave up though. Like, like that's what impressed me. Oh, they at, at they like defended 4-1. really well. At four one, like the Blues did pick up a bit. Like they actually woke up a bit in the third, but I mean they were trailing like crazy going into it. You should wake up, even if your dog tired on the back of a back to back three and four. Actually, it was three and four nights, and but still, like at the NHL level, that's getting absolutely. Like, the Flames dictated everything. Even even in the third, they still were able to dictate everything, and it was. It, they my what I was most impressed what I haven't seen in past years is they didn't stop like the entire 60 minutes I think Pat our uh, friend of the show Pat Steinberg said it on the radio full 60 they played a full 60 minutes and you know that's a rare occurrence so I, to my I surprise the next game they play they give us an even better 60 minutes I, I would call the St. Louis game a full 55 I think the first five minutes of that game they had problems with their breakouts. The, the goal that St. Louis did score was because the Flames couldn't quite take control of the puck on a board battle. And then Clem Costin stole the puck and a couple of quick passes later is in the back of the net. And you can't fault the goalie. You can't really, you know, it was it was a weird play, but that's a, the kind of play that good teams figure out ways to, you know, glass it out. Like they figure out ways to seal that puck off. They figure out ways to make that less entertaining a scoring chance for St. Louis. But after that, I mean, they tied it up less than a minute later, and then they just stepped on the gas pedal and pulled away. And, you know, they, I think the impressive thing in St. Louis and the impressive thing in the 6 nothing win against Columbus was that everybody contributed. You had Adam Rizichka, 
jumping into the rush and scoring ice goals. You had, you know, I mean, the, the, the headlines will be, and rightfully so, like Johnny Gaudreau with four assists or four points in one game. Um, you know, Matthew Kachuk with five points in one game. I think uh, in Columbus, it was reversed. It was three points for four points, three or four points for, uh, for Gaudreau and two for two goals for Kachuk. Mm. So, yeah, like the, the guy, you know, since, since the, the COVID pause, Johnny Gaudreau has 21 points and Matthew Kachuk has 21 points and they've only played 10 games. So they're averaging two and change Point points one. per game. Yeah, 2.1 yeah. points per game over a 10 game span. And it's well earned. They're not exactly like relying on their power play to pad their numbers. They're, you know, Johnny oh, Gaudreau. Five on five. Johnny Gaudreau is the NHL's primary point leader at five on five. Meaning, if you look at primary points, for those of you who don't, or overly familiar with with uh, what primary points are, it's simply goals and the assist directly leading to the goal, the first assist. So it means every, you know, the most pucks have gone in off of Gaudreau or off of direct feeds from Gaudreau in the entire NHL. That's impressive, mm-hmm. and you know, and it's again that is you know power play time is what power play time is. Hot power plays can pad a guy's stats. There's plenty of guys in the National Hockey League who have made a lot of money off of being on a good power play. Johnny Gaudreau, he's getting the points in the power play, but he's also getting the points even strength more than anyone else is. I think there's maybe league-wide, I believe Alex Ovechkin has more even strength points, but if you take away secondary assists, Gaudreau is ahead. And that's, yeah. that's Pri- impressive. Primary, yeah. Pri- primary points is Gaudreau. Um, I, I, still, I don't think he's as high up in the conversation yet as he maybe should be. I think these last two games are going to am- amplify the noise, but Johnny I, should definitely be in the conversation for a certain trophy, uh, especially uh, with his primary uh, scoring. As, as a potential voter, he's on my ballot. I don't know where he is yet on my ballot, but he's, he's at least four or five. Oh, yeah, so Ryan, Ryan gets the vote. I don't. So I'm just going to say, like, I've been noticing these last few games is, especially with all the talk of the primary points, like he said, Ovechkin's got more even strength total, but yeah, the guy, the guy without him, where would the Flames be? Like him and Kachuk have been like, yeah, the Flames have won by blowouts, but they're not blowouts if those two aren't playing together. Those two, those two are the reason these are blowouts. Yeah, like this, and and Matt, Matthew Kachuk, equally good. Elias mm-hmm. Lindholm. Not quite as good as the other two. He hasn't really been getting the points, but he's doing he's the so many things. He's the defensive he's, driver of that. Like he, he allows them to go do whatever the hell they want in the offensive zone because they know they know he's back there and they can always feed him on a trailing pass. He's got a wicked wrist shot, probably the best wrist shot from distance on the entire roster. And it's just it's it's. It, it's given them the freedom. I can't believe it took four years for these guys to play regular shifts together. Look at what they're doing. It's just unbelievable. Well, I, I think the nice thing with that is you have a Blake Coleman and Amanji Pani who can play on that second line. And, you know, through the, through the games they have played together, I thought you know, that they've been rotating some bodies through uh, tonight, uh, you know, Wednesday night against yeah. Columbus. We saw a bit of a, a rotation basically uh, against, Colum- against Columbus, uh, you know, Daryl Sutter's been keeping uh, Backlund and Coleman together as a pair and Monaghan and Lucic together as a pair. And sometimes Dubé's with one and sometimes Manjapani's with one and they've just been rotating through. If you look at uh, Natural Statrix's breakdown of uh, five-on-five lines, uh, they played about the same amount with each pair. Like they sort of mixed and matched. I think it was about four and a half or five minutes for oh, Dubé I- and Manjapani with each grouping. Which, I mean, maybe there's like for chemistry. 
I like it because they both add a different element. Dubé's speed is nuts. And so all of a sudden you're, you think you're matching up against Manjapani who, who, who's going to drive the net. And all of a sudden you got Dubé and Dubé's doing a lap around the net and the defenseman's confused vice versa with the other line. Like you just, you just throw him a curveball. And, and you know what the bet, the best thing that does good thing. It gives Dubé more ice time and Dubé has been playing really well lately. Bad thing takes a little bit away from Manjapani, but I mean, Manj's, Manj got a road goal again out east. That's classic Manj. Um, 19 goals. He's, you know, he's the pace is going to say 40. I still think he finishes above 30 myself, uh, closer into the 30, 35. He's slowed down recently. His hot start was never going to stay. Like he was shooting percentage was way too high, but he's, he's always like, especially last year and the year before, he's shown the ability that he could get 30. He was on a 25 ish point pace on an upward trajectory. So, 30 is what I think. Uh, I, I really do think he, he just needs, he's been needing bounces. Same with Dubé. Dubé and Lucic and Monaghan have created so much over it. The fact that they haven't got a bounce over these last three games, like these games could have been 10-1, 10-0 if these guys get their bounces because they've been creating so much and they can't put it away, which, you know, might be why they need help later. But still, structurally, you know, if you're down in the other zone, just with the puck the whole time creating chances, what is the other team going to do? And they're going to be dog tired because they've been defending the whole time. And that's basically how the last two games have gone. The one against St. Louis and the one against Columbus. It's been relentless. Yeah, you, you could tell at the end of both of those games, the last 10 minutes of those games, the Flames had, had jumped and both Columbus and St. Louis were looking at the clock going, Oh God, another 10 minutes. And, you know, I think the, the nice thing is the flames got the goals when they did, because they basically took hope away from both those teams. And, you know, they were able to just use all four lines, use all their defensemen, you know, um, Jacob Markstrom got some reps, but he wasn't really tested in the third period in either game. You can make a case. He wasn't really tested in the second period of either game. Like he could have read a book in both of the last uh, two games in the second period. And, and, you know, if you had nobody in that, they probably wouldn't have been too bad. And thankfully they didn't have nobody in that, but I, I think for, you know, Markstrom, I don't know what he was working through or working back from. Obviously, if you want, if you, if you want to, you know, let's, let's play speculation corner and this is without any kind of internal knowledge of any kind. Uh, he, you know, one he got COVID that's, that's bad business for a lot of people, especially, you know, we've heard horror stories about high performance athletes, you know, their, their bodies are as much fat like the rest of us so that, you know, things hit them differently than they hit us regular folk. Uh, so there could be that he did, you know, the whole team didn't play for 19 days and hockey players are creatures of habit. So that probably doesn't help. Uh, goaltenders especially rely on game reps, reps, momentum, mojo, whatever you want to call it. Goalies amongst creatures of habit or even more creatures of habit. And if you take away your routine, you take away, you know, your, your teammates, you take away your practice reps, uh, you give someone, you know, you don't know how bad, you know, for some people, it's just a cold or a flu. For some people, it's worse. You don't know how it's going to impact someone when they get it and how quickly they're going to recover from it. Uh, even just from a cardio standpoint, not skating for however many days, you don't get the same kind of cardio you get on a bike or you get on, uh, on a, a treadmill or whatever. So you have to sort of get your, your cardio back. And, you know, Markstrom, you know, maybe he was dealing with, with something else. Like, you know, he, he just seemed off for a while in, in probably a lot of different ways. And 
he seemed the last two games really good. He was outside of that goal in Columbus or St. Louis, against St. Louis, rather, in the first goal, which he had no chance on. He was very good when he needed to be against St. Louis. He was very good early against uh, Columbus when they had a few chances early on. Like, this could have been a earlier game with someone different between the pipes. And thankfully for the Flames, they had Markstrom in that, and they had Markstrom feeling good in that. And I think that'll be – that'll go well. Because they got uh, another back-to-back coming up. They well, play yeah. the, the February, what, 1st and 2nd or a back-to-back? So it's going to be February before you know it. And, you know, I, I assume uh, the, the the game in St. Louis will be Dan Vladar's. And then you can probably go back to against Vancouver at home. You probably go back to, to Markstrom. And then you split up that last back-to-back. And then you're at the, the all-star break. And you're off for six days. So I think that sets them up nicely. And I think it sets them up nicely. I think, I think it'll be really interesting to see how Dan Vladar reacts because we haven't seen him since that road trip where he had uh, he got sort of thrown to the wolves against, uh, against Tampa Bay and against Carolina. And he did pretty well. He wasn't great. He wasn't the reason they lost out of those games. But I think if you're hoping for a young guy to come out of, uh, of this little stretch of games with some swagger like the rest of the team has, I, I think that game against St. Louis is a big game. And whatever game in that back-to-back in February he gets, that'll be a big start for him too. So th- this is this is going to be a really interesting last few games with a break in a lot of different yeah. ways. You, you just mentioned a phrase, and it, it's, I have to talk about him. Young man with swagger who's been inserted into the lineup and kind of really played very, very well. And it, it helps because he's been not allowing certain, the, the lower lines to get play pushed against them. And that's Adam Rzichka. Rzichka, probably. I should probably say it right. But Rzichka, uh, yeah. It's a, Rzichka. You, you got to say it with some, right? He is Slovakian. Slovakian. I always get that wrong. I apologize, Adam. Um, I do not apologize about complimenting you for your play, though. You've, you, you've, you've put up tremendous numbers. You, you've, it, the first couple games in the show, he felt like he it was like a couple water. He was feeling out the waters. And then he started to actually play really strong. And then he went back on the taxi squad. And throughout all the COVID and the restart, they've let up, left him on the taxi squad. And I actually think that was a benefit. And I think Sutter realizes that you can't be messing around or putting too much on a young player like that. He's trying to learn his way. So he allowed him to say, hey, we're going to go put you on the taxi squad. We'll still get you some games in later. He's come in. I don't. He, he looks like he should stay. Now, young guys need to consistently show that they can do it to stay, especially with this coach. But I mean, he's on a two game point streak, golden assist back-to-back games. Uh, Hey, that's career career high for him. Since, since they put him in the roster, they they put him in, they don't score the opposition 13 to one. So correlation equals the key. He's the key, right? Yeah. Uh, It's not, not the guys that have the, the, ridiculous amounts of points in the last two games <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll say this for him like when when he was drafted uh, the 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 thought process of him was uh, we, we at the draft we talked to a top button the, the flames head scout and he mentioned that you know high offensive ceiling that that draft year that went through guys with high offensive ceiling and the thing with Rizichka talking to, to friends of mine who cover the OHL and scouts I know the knock on him was always man if he could play like if he was engaged and with it, like if he was really locked in every game, the sky's the limit. Because if you look at him on paper, like he's tall, he's got that length that he's lanky, he's thick, he's got he the, skates pretty well from a big guy. He plays a skill like he's he's the kind of guy that when he's on, and we saw this in the American Hockey League, when he's on, he fires off like two, three points of the game. 
Like he just mm-hmm. he's on, things just come together for him really quickly. But the problem was yeah. in the OHL that he wasn't engaged all the time. Like, and, and granted, I mean, bigger than the other kids, better than most of the other kids. Like when, when you're not being challenged physically, mentally, whatever, it's easy to regress a bit and it's easy to, to lose that consistency. And I think the best thing for him is that he's been in an American League environment, especially in the Flames system, a competitive American League environment where you have Byron Frey pushing for time. You have Lynn Godden pushing for time. You have some of the wingers like Connor Zaris in there now. He's pushing for time. Some of the wingers, you know, Pelche, Phillips, uh, even even someone like Luke Phillip and Yuji Tulola, they have a lot of guys who have a lot of NHL-ish attributes who are pushing. And guys like Ruzichka, like, man, Ruzichka has a lot of NHL attributes. You mentioned size. Uh, you know, he has the lankiness. He's got the physicality. He doesn't play big, but he doesn't play small either. He's, he's, he's very Jankowski-ish in terms of that. But the thing, nothing at Jankowski was the same kind of thing where Jankowski never really figured out how to be a mean guy and, and play big. And I think if Rizichka can figure that out, and he's playing with the right guys to do it. I mean, you're playing with Richie, and you're playing with Trevor Lewis. They're going to teach you how to muck around. So I, 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 I'm, you know, Daryl Sutter had some, some comments about him after the, the last game mentioning that, you know, he, you know, he has all the tools. He has to decide what he wants to do with it. And he's right. I mean, you know, the, I think Brzezicka is 22, 23 years old. He's heading the end. He's going to be an RFA, I think, after this year. I'm really curious what happens with him because on paper, big kid, he's, you know, good AHL scorer when, he, when he's healthy, good, a, good NHL scorer so far. I mean, how many guys in the flame system have multiple, you know, are in their entry-level contract or in the show and have multiple points? Almost nobody. And I think with, in his position, you know, who's, who's he committing with rice time? Brad Richardson, who, bless his heart, is a pretty decent, you know, replacement-level player, but he knows exactly what he is, but he's also 36, and he's got some miles on him, and he missed some time last year due to injury, and Tyler Pitlick, who's been hurt a lot. Like, he, Tyler Pitlick's had them two or three different injuries this year. So, mm-hmm. if you're Rizitska, you just need to be healthier than Pitlick, and you need to be more consistent than Rizitska, or than, uh, than Richardson. So, mm-hmm. Rizitska, he's bigger than Richardson. Can he can he be better than Richardson consistently? Yeah, the the the, the, the ability to keep it up doesn't matter. He's got, I mean, he's played this this was the tenth NHL game, got his fourth point. I mean, but mind you, uh, this year it's all been fourth line minutes, right? Fourth line, his his quality. Uh, he was out there though. The, I laugh like crazy. The Blues game, he got what ten seconds on the ice with Johnny and Kachuk, and what's he do? Puts it in the back of the net, and I was just. That, that's a good way to keep yourself in for the next game. <laughs> I'll, I'll so. say this. I'll say this. I don't think that was an accident. They could have, they, that situation, you know, uh, when Lindholm's coming off, they could throw Monahan out there. They could throw Backland out there. They could throw another winger out there. They, they put Rizicka out there, I think, to sort of see what he could do. And instead of being, you know, uh, you, know uh, you know, a bit of a perimeter guy, he just jumped in. And when cool. he started the whole play. He kept the play alive. He kept the puck in with an aggressive play on the uh, guy trying to break out of the zone, keeps the puck in the blue line, sends it low to Johnny. Johnny does his stick handle in a phone booth magic, dishes it over to Kachuk, who instantly fakes us one touch, goes right to Rizicka. Bennington had no chance. I'll, I'll say this for, for Rizicka. Six one? Four one? If, five one? I couldn't if, if you're Johnny Gaudreau and you can do Johnny Gaudreau things, you do you be Johnny Gaudreau. Like Johnny Gaudreau's to-do list every day is he wakes up and he decides to be Johnny Gaudreau. Most of us don't get to wake up and decide that. 
So most of us have to deal with what the hand that we're given. And Rosichka is, you know, he's got the frame, he's got decent size, he's got decent wheels, and he's got a brain on. And so what did he do that created that goal? He simply made a simple play. He just went, used his length, whack, keeps the bucket. And then it lands up on a stick and he just puts it on that. Boom. Even even the, the goal he, he, he set up against uh, against Columbus on Wednesday night, just won a face-off. Won a face-off and then, you know, a bunch but of... He, sort he of fought work. the guy. He fought the guy for positioning to get the puck back. He's the one simple. who shoved the puck back. And simple, simple move. Simple, just keep, you know, you win. The, the Flames have that face-off play. They like to win the puck and get it to the boards. If they can't get it to the boards right away, they try to throw it back to the guy in the middle because they want that shot from the middle of the ice. And then presumably the winger charges the net and creates havoc. So you get a decent point shot front of, with, with, with velocity while there's mucking in front of the net, like tons of tons of traffic. So that's a, it's a good face-up play. It's work. We saw Coleman score that against Pittsburgh earlier in the year. Uh, it's the most notable one because it was a howitzer. Um, but but that's and he just did that. That's all he did. He was like, okay, that lane's gone. Let's go back to where we need to go. And there's tons of guys, so I'm not worried about turning it over because I'm already at the top of the circles. If I need to back check, I'm, I've got room. So it, uh, it's really been a very impressive two games. Even against Florida, they were able to hold their own. They, they dominated play. They should have won against Edmonton, like we said. And it's been a four-game stretch of nothing but play that makes me believe that the Calgary Flames are the same team that won those five games on the road to start the season. But that's the standard now. Yeah, if you're going to hold the team accountable to their wins, then, I mean, they're not going to win 7-1 and 6 nothing every game. No. But I think that, that Florida game is the template because they dictate. And, I mean, they, they dictated against Columbus, too. And they dictated on the road, and they dictated against the team. Columbus has a lot of young guys and a lot of guys with great skating and can play fast and they look the game well. I mean, they got Zach Wierenski, they got Line A, they got a bunch of you know, young, young up-and-coming guys. Like, they're going to be a good team soon. I don't know when soon is, but soon. Oh, they got two good goalies. I mean, they're set up very well. And the Flames went into their building and ran their show. So I, I feel like this season we've only seen two kryptonites, really. I mean, they they had they lost against some good teams. I don't consider that kryptonite. Like losing against Florida, Carolina, Tampa, I don't consider that. Like those are good quality hockey teams. The two pieces of kryptonite are the nation's capital, where for some reason I don't know why, but it, they always just flop against Ottawa and the Oilers' power play. Not the Oilers, just the Oilers' power play. If they get into the playoffs again in a series against Edmonton and Edmonton doesn't get playoff calls, then Edmonton would be in trouble. That's 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 really all they've got. Edmonton's avidly trying to work on their own depth. That's their own thing. Calgary needs to work on theirs, which we were going to talk about. We were going to talk I'll, about. I'll them. I'll add one more kryptonite, and I think the Flames coaching staff would agree with me. The Flames have trouble against teams that clog up the middle of the ice and sort of own the the, the circles and that. And so. You can call it what you want. You can call it heavy teams. You can call it like they're not even just big teams. I mean, you know, Tampa Bay isn't excessively big, but they simply just own the home play area with positioning, with speed, with skill. And I think the Flames, the Flames need to figure out a way to unfurl that area and unclog that area. And so far, they haven't done that. And in the games where they've lost, and the games where you go, well, they lost and they deserve to lose. That's that's the thing that kills them. So I think that's the secret in the next 44 games. 
Well, you just, you just, as I completely agree, other teams that play that style, Dallas, did they beat them? No. Montreal, who's dead last in the league, but they play that style. Did Calgary beat them? No. Like, you, that's a mad, fantastic point. I think San Jose is one of the teams in the Pacific that's trying to trend toward that. They're trying to play a bigger grinder game, but they're also trying to speed up. So that's a San, team I'd San watch. Jose, the Flames had, had trouble beating. They, they lost both yeah. games against San Jose because of the style. Yeah, and so so that's 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 who I've noticed. I I still think they can, and the other team, the other team that plays like that is, uh, you know, they play in Nevada, but I don't want to talk about them yet. I'll, I'll I'll hopefully only worry about them in the second round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. So that's our beautiful theming, folks. If you like the song, Crypt, listen to Kryptonite by Five for Fighting. I'm gonna age myself. That's a, that was a fantastic band. They had one great album and then disappeared off the face of the earth. Five for fighting. I saw them open for the Goo Goo Dolls like 15 years ago. That was a great show. That was a great show. And uh, let's segue. The Flames on blue on the blue line don't really have a good night. I think that the Flames. I think if you had told us in July after the expansion draft that not only would the Flames not have issues their top four, but their top four arguably be the team of strength outside of the, the first line. You know, yeah. we would have found some swamp land to sell you because, you know, losing Mark Giordano, a former Norris Trophy winner, a multiple time, you know, NHL, you know, Norris candidate basically since he turned 30, longtime captain, great human being, great everything. And you said, well, you're going to lose him to, they're going to lose him to, uh, to Seattle, but it's not really going to make much of a difference. They're actually going to be better defensively. I would have said, yeah, yeah. So is Daryl, is Daryl Sutter going out and playing the, the, the left side himself? Like, how does that work? But I think, Robert uh, Gear and Willie Mitchell back is what he's said. That's what I, we thought. I, I think, you know, that the emergence of Oliver Shillington, if you look at the Flames top four, the, you know, Anderson and Hannafin fit like a glove. Tanev and Shillington fit like a glove. And granted, I mean, you know, the Daryl Sutter spoke very glowingly about Chris Tanev and rightfully so. Chris Tanev, since he's arrived for Calgary Flames, has been, if nothing else, a warm, snugly comfort blanket for whoever he's playing with. At whatever pairing Chris Tanev has been playing with has been the Flames' best pair. And wow, it's great. That's that's fantastic. That's you they paid they paid out the out, they paid a very handsome price versus you know relative to the market to get somebody to do that. Bless his heart, I don't think TJ Brody would have been that here. TJ Brody's fit in very nicely in Toronto, and we wish it well. And Chris Tanev has fit in very nicely here when Vancouver wasn't really wanting to pay him that kind of money. And much, I think even more than he did for, for Quinn Hughes in, in Vancouver, I think Tana has fit in very nicely. And so the Flames, their top four is probably set. You don't really need to do anything. You know, if we, we've talked, we talked last week at, uh, on this program about the Flames needing some, some help up front. And I think in most of their forward ranks, I mean, in an ideal world, Michael Backlund's a third-line center, and they have someone above him to generate a bit more offense. And maybe they have an extra winger in that bottom six to sort of give it a bit more speed. And I, I think they, I think they're probably in the market for both those things. Uh, probably a right shot forward of some kind, and and or a center. And on the blue line, I think the irony is, the irony of this all is. For two or three years in a row, the Flames added defensemen so they didn't have to use a relatively untested at that point, Alder Shillington, 
And so they, they traded for Derek Forbord and they traded for Oscar Fantenberg, both times conditional fourth round pick to the LA Kings for those gentlemen. And this year, I think they're probably looking at another kind of Fantenberg-y, 440 trade in the sense that if, if you are someone who looks at the flames they're pairing and goes occasionally through your hands as you're watching a game, oh, dear God, why are they playing Zadarov so much? We're here to talk to you, friends, because I think, I think in a, an ideal world, the Flames feel they have on the right side four reliable defensemen. I broke this down on the site on the, on the depth chart piece uh, early this week. On the right side, you got Chris Tanev, you got Rasmus Anderson, you've got Eric Branson, and you've got Michael Stone, who never plays. But when he does play, he's perfectly fine. Like he is, He's playoff experience. He's 30, 30-something. He knows what he is. He's a good stopgap guy. So you got four guys with NHL experience you feel comfortable with. On the left side, as we mentioned, Hannafin, Shillington, Zadorov. And then after them, you have Connor Mackey, who's never played a playoff game. And you have Balamacki, who's played less than a half. And they, they, Balamacki's still a project. He's missed a year and a half of his development. He's currently missing time right now, isn't he? He's injured again. And yeah. when, he's, when he has played in Stockton, I'll say this. I, I watched a few of his games he played. He's pretty good. Is he better than Connor Mackey? I don't know. They're both about as good as each other. And actually, ostensibly, and I don't want to, I don't want to say this to be mean, but on a points per game basis and on an overall basis, Greg Morrow, AHL signee Greg Morrow, formerly of I forget where somewhere in college, I forget Greg Morrow, I apologize for forgetting where, where the funds signed you from. But Greg Morrow, uh, relative to the games he's played, has generated more offense than than uh user Valimaki. And since Joseph Alamaki's arrived in, in Stockton, Connor Mackey has been a more consistent offensive player. Granted, there's more than the game than that. It reflects Mackey's on the tax squad right now. Is there bona fide if something happens off they, the flag? still there. To I be honest, they, they, I think he's up because they didn't really have, like, let's play devil's advocate. Who, if not him, who? Who else? Is it going to be one of the veteran guys that they signed? You're not. You're not bringing up Gravel. You're not bringing up DeSimone. You're not bringing up those guys. It's. It was Mackie. It was Mackie or Val Mackie. Val Mackie's hurt. And well, you yeah. know, and you still. We always, like I said, we still have Stone. Like Stone's still yeah. there. Stone can still plug in. If anyone needs a game off, it doesn't seem like any of them ever want to take a game off with the way they're playing. They're having a lot of fun playing the game of hockey right now. Um, hey, hockey's fun. You're playing well, man. But. Uh, you mentioned a guy that can play defense and possibly, you know, replace Zadarov's impact and still not, it's still be able to bring that defense. And so uh, we looked at a few depth options. Yeah. Uh, what, what Shannon and I did, folks, was we did two things. We went to two places. We'll plug the places we went to because these people are doing fine work that deserves recognition. First of all, we went to uh, the athletic and uh, our friend Dom Lecession. Lecession? Was that Dom? Let's just call him Dom. I, I always think I'm getting his name right, and I never am. So, Dom, I apologize when slash if I get your name wrong. But Dom does the playoff uh, uh, the playoff odds, the playoff prediction, the playoff weighting things. He basically, you know, projects – projections is the word. Dom does playoff projections based on various thing, factors, the percentage chance a team has to make the playoffs. So what we did was we looked at the teams that are around 90% chance of missing the playoffs. Teams – the long shot teams. And so – we, we took, wrote down the names of those teams. And after that, we went to uh, uh, Puckpedia, and we said, okay, who's a pending UFA? 
the Flames could not afford, based on paying Gaudreau, paying uh, Kachuk, probably paying Najapani, probably paying Shillington, with all the things they have to do, they can't afford to bring on anyone with term or anyone who's a restricted free agent who could accept a qualifying offer. They have their, they have enough problems as is. So we're looking at pure rentals. So of the teams that are out, pure rentals, and then we went to evolving hockey and we looked at goals above replacement. The argument is if you're going to do this, if you're going to expend, if you're trading Matthew Phillips, if you're trading Glenn Godden, if you're trading a fifth round pick, fourth round pick, whatever, if you're spending assets to get a defenseman, they better be an upgrade on Nikita Zurov. That is the, those are the criteria we have. So Jen and I have come up with a few names. One of them, I think Shane will be rather familiar to plays fans. You guys are going to like this and, and, He's got playoff experience. If you're a love of the intangibles, he's a left-hand shot. He he's played a lot of games. He he's never really gotten into a full season still, but he's he's definitely he's played over 200 games. Yeah, he's played over 200 games at the NHL level now. 26 games the last two playoffs. I'm talking about friend of Calgary, Brett Kulak, and I can't even remember. Ryan, once upon a time, do you remember what we gave him to Montreal for? Well, here, here was the situation. So when this will, this will sound really funny in retrospect, given what the situation the Flames are in, but bear with me. So the Flames, they had Brett Kulak, and Brett Kulak was a mid-round pick. I think he was a fourth-round pick, and I forget, I forget the year. Fourth-rounder, because the Flames just make hay in the fourth round. So Brett Kulak came in, good AHLer, came in, good third-pairing NHLer, steady third-pairing guy. Does he, did he have a ceiling above third-pairing? Who knows? On a bad team, probably, in Calgary, the guys they had, maybe, maybe not. So what happened was the year that you saw Valimax went pro, I believe it was 1920. I think it was 19. It was 1819 or 1920. He got, traded on, he got traded in 2018. Yeah, so it was, it was 1819. So the year the year that – because uh, Yusuf is a late birthday. So Yusuf Alamaki was going pro. And the thought process was you know, it became very clear to the Flames two things. One – they, you know, Brett Kulak's representation just did not see eye to eye with the Flames on terms of that's not, so, not so much. It wasn't so much. I, I know folks will say, "Oh, they went to arbitration and these hurt. someone's feelings got hurt, one of the others, and it just soured the relationship." I don't think it was that. I think the problem was you sit down and it's it's like uh, you know, Shane. We've all been on dates before, and you go on dates, and it's you know, even if the person sees perfectly nice, it's pretty clear if it's just not going to be a fit. And mm-hmm. sometimes, sometimes it's clear on the first date. Sometimes it takes you a couple months, but eventually you figure it out. So it became, I believe, very clear during the, the, the talks in the run-up to salary arbitration that uh, what Kulak's camp thought he would be in Calgary, as in his growth trajectory and what they would do to make room for him to do that, wouldn't quite work out here. Uh, part of the reason was on the left side, they had Yusuf Alamaki, and not just Yusuf Alamaki, Yusuf Alamaki was turning pro. And so they had Alamaki turning pro, and after the salary arbitration thing went on and he, he signed his, his deal from arbitration, uh, it became really clear that Alamaki was probably going to make the team. Like he was really, really, really good in camp. And I, you know, so during that training camp, after the first little bit, they made a trade with the Montreal Canadiens. And I think they could have made a better trade. I don't know what the market was for them. I don't talk to GMs like the, like the Flames do. But uh, they traded uh, Brett Kulak, who had already gone through waivers, 
earlier. Matt, and I believe Matt, Matt Teorma and Renat Valiev. I have AHL All Star Renat uh, Matt, uh, Matt uh, Teramina and depth defenseman Renat Valiev. Both of the, you know, uh, and to be uh, here's a spoiler for you folks: none of those players are playing for hockey in North America right now. So the Flames traded uh, Kulak to Montreal, and Kulak just kept Kulaking in Montreal. He's been a very productive third pairing guy in Montreal. He's been consistent. He's been upbeat. He's been he's been Brett Kulak. He's been the second Brett Kulak that made you go, "Ooh, this guy's pretty good." In Calgary, he's been that in Montreal. Uh, he is currently. Mr. Stevenson making $125 million against his salary cap. Uh, mm-hmm. Per our friends at Evolving Hockey, he is currently worth two goals above replacement. For Quint, for comparison's sake, Nikita Zadorov is 0.5 goals below replacement level. Uh, if you look at the, the constituent elements, if you go to Evolving Hockey, they break things into three components, offense, defense, and penalties. Uh, he is basically a goal below replacement, offensively cool that is. Uh, Zadarov is 1.4 goals, so Kulak's an upgrade. Defensively, Kulak is 2.5 goals above replacement. Zadarov is 1.6, again, an upgrade. And in terms of taking penalties or not, or in terms of taking penalties or drawing penalties, Kulak is worth basically a half goal above replacement for penalties, whereas Zadorov is 0.7 goals below replacement. So uh, it all it, full basically, basically, if your if your thought process is well, you know. The Flames like Zadorov because he's a good, you know, shutdown D guy. Yeah, like yeah, him. that's why they like him. And Kulak is, based on the numbers, better than better than him by a full goal at the thing he's the best at. And he's worth an extra two and a half goals above replacement than Zadorov. So and it's, it's, it's like basically he, you're upgrading the team. And it's not like he's super undersized. He's he's six foot two, uh, 197 pounds. Like it's not like he's gonna get pushed around tremendously on the ice he can still play i do think that maybe they like that aspect of zadarev they really like that physical aspect he, he plays heavy he, if you, you want to use the term he plays heavy but i mean the you know with the rumor that they called and i mean i'm going to address this rumor right now you know there's a rumor that you know flames have talked to uh the new gm kent hughes or did I, it's kent hughes right it's yeah. kent hughes yeah uh, for ben Sherrod. And why wouldn't you call a brand new GM and set up connections with him well before the trade deadline? You know, they're out of it. You know, they're going to, you know, they're probably going to sell pieces. It, you know, that's their big fish. So, you know, you could start there and work your way down to a more functional component. Kulak's someone they're familiar with. He plays strong defense. He grades out both the, the eye test people like him, the analytics people like him. It's, it's a good depth piece that I don't think would cost them, you know, it might cost them more than a fourth. Maybe he might give, might cost a third from next year's draft. That's fine. You look at the team and the way they're playing right now, they deserve the chance to have the depth. And, um, and I'll say this. I, I look at Valimaki or Mackey as someone who can slot into Hannafin or Shillington's spot. Um, you got Stone that could play any of the three guys on the right side somewhat in a pinch, not probably really well. So you want someone else that can come in and, and replace the bigger guys and play the same type of style of game. And that's what Kulak can do. And, and I think if the idea is you need insurance, you know, you don't want Michael Stone's on, on the Flames roster. He's there for insurance because Michael Stone is reliable. The coaching staff knows him. The teammates know him. The goalies know him. He's reliable. 
of all the guys you could be trying to add, the thing is, do you know who Brett Kulak broke in the NHL under? He broke in the NHL under the tutelage of Flames assistant coach Ryan Huska, who runs the defense. He yeah. broke in the NHL alongside Anderson and Chillington. Like, there's all these guys who he, he's been to camps with, he's come up, up in the system with. So if the idea is that you're just sort of taking a guy and plugging him in and you need to, you know, you, you might not, you might, he might not play a ton. So are you, are you willing to pay, let's say fifth round pick, conditional fourth round pick, something like that, like fourth or fifth round pick, like a Fathenberg four-fourth level investment. The cap head is easy. If you're, if we'll, we'll, we'll get into this a little bit, but I, I know like it, if cap hit was not an issue, I would say Calvin DeHaan or Mark Giordano would be the guys you look at. But the problem is the Flames, you know, once depending on what happens with uh, with the rest of the roster, like if, if Rizitska is here to stay, if they're going to be carrying 23 guys for the, the bitter end, they're only probably going to be able to add about five, maybe six million dollars in cap hits. And mm-hmm. so you're looking for bargains and or retention, but would retention that cost, or bar- you know that costs you, you more. So if if the question is you're going to pay a first for a Giordano, who might only be playing on your third pair anyway, or you're paying a fourth for Kulak, and then you still have about $4 million in cap space to go get a center, to go get another right wing, to go add something to your forward mix. I go think get Joe Pavelski. If, Sorry, if the idea is, that happens a lot lately. Yeah, uh, but right. I think if, if you're if you're gonna be doing so-called value shopping, if you're looking to give yourself some breathing room, so that if 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 Sadorov goes down, Mackie has not played a lot of NHL hockey, and it'd be mm-hmm. kind of unfair to throw him in the deep end. Uh, he has no playoff experience. Metal Mackie again, he's he's had injuries. He's been really inconsistent when he's played, and I don't think that third pairing role is a good role for him to begin with. But if you throw in Kulak. Based on what we know about Kulak and based on what we know on how the Flames like to run that third pair, Kulak fits their needs like a club. Would there was another guy on Montreal, though, that you liked. Yes, and he's cheaper. Chris yes, Weidman. And, he is and cheaper. I know yeah. the, 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 the other Weidman. Yeah, yeah uh, I, was, I was thinking of that too. <laughs> Chris, Chris Weidman, he is, according to Evolve, he has a $750,000 cap hit, so he's making league men. Uh, so he's easy to fit in. Uh, you can, it's, he's, he's worth 3.5 goals of replacement, 2.4 offensively, 1.8 defensively. And he's about minus seven goals, uh, about seven goals below, 0.7 goals below replacement penalty wise. So the big knock on him is he takes too many penalties or he doesn't draw enough penalties, but offensively he's positive. He's a net positive player. Defensively, he's a net positive player, both offensively and defensively. He's a significant upgrade over Zadorov. And in terms of penalties, he's the same. So in ter- if you're like, oh, you know, he's, he's the same as Zadorov in the thing that no one cares about, and he's markedly better than the other two things. So I think Wyben would be good. I think Wyben and Kulak are both guys in Montreal look at moving because Montreal is atrocious this year. And if I'm a general manager and I'm, and I'm brand new in my job, I'm trying to get as much draft capital as I can. Would it be awkward for the Flames to trade for a player they traded away three or four years ago? Yes. But remember, this is the team that kept trading for and then trading away Brandon Prust. They they acquired Ole Jokinen multiple times. You know, who cares if 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 it meets your needs, people are willing to suck it up and be like, yeah, it's kind of awkward. Yeah. It's kind of funny. 
Like it'd yeah, be, we're, it'd we're be, looking for another Tongue Camilleri kind of like that's, that's kind of what we want. Like that'd be like like that's cares? what we're looking for. Who's Alias? You know, we're trying to get, bring in players like that again, the players that impacted like that. But I mean, yeah, as long as they try, like they you know if they show the record, or show uh, the fans that hey, we're gonna try, we're gonna get what we can. Uh, hopefully, it's you know, and tr- I I do have a lot of faith in Reg Living's. So, uh, he he knows what value players are worth. He got good value for Sam Bennett last year. Now everyone says, "Oh no, he, look he at got, him now; he he's got, worth more. He got he more got than value, what he was worth." He got great value for David Reddick. He, you know, yeah. I think, and honestly, like the, his trade deadline moves, sometimes are kind of frustrating, but you can kind of make sense of them. And mm-hmm. like the last few years, the idea is, "Oh, you need more defense." If the predictable move every year is near defense, I assume he's going to make a defensive trade because he always makes a defensive trade, and it'll be a, <laughs> it'll be a fourth or fifth round pick for somebody. Uh, so I think that'll be a, a, a predictable move. And I think a move that they'll need. Other names that are kicking around uh, in no particular order, Mark Pisick, Pisick, Pisick from Buffalo, $900,000. He, right wing defense combo. He can play wherever. So he gives you he gives you some versatility. Uh, Justin Braun is going to go somewhere and they're going to get, I think Justin Braun, there could be a bidding war for him because he's just, he's probably the best pure defensive defensive available. He's making $1.8 million. He is uh, 2.5 goals above replacement overall, but almost four goals above replacement de- uh, defensively. He is, you know, he is very much sort of a non-entity offensively. He's below replacement level offensively, but he's just so good defensively. But, he's big, but, and he's Braun, Braun as well, using Hockey Viz, uh, Michael Blake McCurdy's um, model as well. With, with him on the ice, the impact for the Flyers is minus one percent, which is just below, which is just above replacement for defense. Without him on the ice, it's plus nineteen, which is negative for defensive impact. So he improves their defense by like tremendous amounts. Like that, that that's for from someone who studies this stuff regularly, folks. I'm telling you that like Philly's a tire fire right now. Poor Carter Hart, but Justin Everything Braun must go. Problem. But Justin Baron has not been the problem, and he can be a good depth piece. Yeah, so I think I think of all the guys available for the price and for the things that they do that the Flames would probably value, I think you're looking at Kulak, you're probably looking at Wyman, you're looking at Braun, maybe Pishik. Pishik's is sort of he's sort of he has good impact, but it's hard to say what he is. He, I think his Trey, lack of Trey a role is normally going for Trey has normally gone for guys with a little more impact, like Forbert Gustafson. I guess Fattenberg's more like was less than Fischick. So, yeah. but I, I, I do agree with you that that's kind of become his trope and, you know, I don't blame him. Cause there's what's the saying, you can never have enough defense. And really the only two call-ups they have right now as options are Val Mackey and Mackey and another piece it's, to the puzzle would not be a bad thing. Um, yeah, like it's, it, but it's just the price for me, right? Like you're not, you shouldn't pay a first round pick to upgrade Nikita Zadorov to Ben Sherratt, right? Like that's too much for me. That's why and, and, I'm and more about it's, fourth round. It's not a, great. I mean, from an analytics standpoint, Sherratt is having a, an atrocious season. He's below replacement level across the board. And granted, I mean, some of that's who on Montreal, on. But who on yeah, Montreal like, is really outstandingly making positive numbers, right? Like it's a complete. The, the depth guys, the guys yeah, who are yeah. sheltered a bit. Yeah, the guys. The, the yeah, Kulaks so, and Wyman. Well, yeah, the, the guys that you don't play against the other team's top comp, it, it, it's more, when you, especially when you look at numbers, you, uh, 
for the listeners, I know Ryan knows, I know, but I, I know Ryan knows how to read these things, but for the listeners that are a little unfamiliar with analytics, when you're looking at a player on a bad team, you have to recognize the bias that his numbers were, are going to be taking a hit. His numbers aren't going to grade out like a third liner on Tampa or Colorado. They're just not. Those, those players are going to get boosts because they're playing better hockey in a better system with a stronger team. So you're trying to look at real underlying numbers as well as making sure you're visually seeing that they're playing on the defensive side of the puck. They can move the puck without turning it over, stuff like that to make this. And these guys were presenting to you, Ryan did a lot of work looking up to make sure that they, these guys are, these are the guys that we feel have all that for you. So, and, and just to, just to throw a little gasoline on the fire, uh, the only team with multiple scouts at the, the last Flames home game was Montreal. Granted, one of them was a Western Pro Scout who is regularly in Calgary. Uh, as a disclaimer, friends, you, over the next few weeks, up until the trade deadline, everyone and their dog will be, you know, uh, you know, go white knuckling it a bit over who's who's scouting what games. So here's generally how it works. There are in Calgary, I'd say eight to ten Western Regional Scouts who are always at Calgary games. And then, so as as a, as a journalist person person attempting to, to conduct journalism. When I look at the scouting list, I'm looking for whose names are different. Who has multiple mm-hmm. scouts? Because who, who's uh, someone like, that you don't recognize? Yeah, that's good. Yeah, because yeah. like, like, like say if I'm at a if I'm a scout and I'm at a game all the time, I know I've seen the flames a bunch. I've seen the team that they're playing a bunch. And so if I if if Shane is another scout from my organization, I'm bringing him in because I'm trying to convince him something or I want a second opinion. And that's significant. Sometimes like you know, second opinions are just, oh, somebody like there, there's been plenty of times the Flames share a building with a Western League team and, you know, junior scouts love watching hockey, too. So a team might bring in, you know, come in to watch the Hitmen or the Oil Kings do loop or the, or the Rebels and then hop into Calgary, watch an NHL game, hang out with the scouts. The scouts are very social. They love chatting. You know, we're we're we're, we're big gossips in the hockey community, especially so I'm just as a disclaimer. Don't get too riled up about teams that have uh, players or scouts at, at games because scouts, they, they're at every game. Get riled up if they have multiple scouts or someone with a fancy job title, like, you know, GMs, AGMs, fancy player personnel, head scouts, those kind of things. Anyone whose job isn't normally going to Calgary on a Tuesday or Wednesday to watch Calgary and Nashville, for example. That's a bad example because I don't think Nashville's coming through in a while. But that's my disclaimer. Uh, our other disclaimer, we've alluded to it. The two guys I really love that I don't think the Flames are going to be able to get because of the price tag, Calvin DeHaan, $4.55 million. Very good. Very great defensively. Too expensive. Need the and, money for a forward. And Mark Giordano, who he's been a non-entity offensively this year. His offense has fallen off a cliff, as it does sometimes. Granted, some of it's the chemistry. He's playing with a ton of guys he's never played with before. And so that is the team aspect, you know, the Montreal aspect of a lot of Montreal players have bad underlines because they're playing big minutes against good teams, players. Uh, and Giordano is just taking in the teeth a bit offensively because he's spending a lot of time in his own zone, but he's defending really well. He's, he's always been a good defensive player. He's been good at everything. That's why he won the Norris. Uh, but he's, he's mm-hmm. making six, seven, five. And this year, even at half. Is, even, Even at half, half contract, it's it eats up, and and then you're only getting a, like a two million. Like, 
are you, you'd have to get a half a Giordano and a Cal Yarncroft to make that even matter to try and fit under the five and, and a half. And that's Cali Yarncroft's costing you a second or a first. Giordano on his own is costing you a first and something else. I mean, sure. you're giving can, up tons, but yeah, to, I'd to, rather to have get, a more impact forward myself. But. To get a Dahan or to get a Giordano, you're going to have to blow your brains out in terms of your cap space and an asset going out the door to get them. Mm-hmm. And it'd be to for the Flames shore up an area that they don't really need to shore up. So we're just we're just putting it out there. We don't want it. We don't want anyone to get too riled up about who's scouting what games and Dahan and Giordano because I don't think the who's scouting what games doesn't really matter as much as you think it does. And Dahan and Giordano probably aren't going to be in the cards because you know if you're if you're thinking man the Flames need more secondary scoring. Yeah, you're right. They, they do need secondary scoring. And you're not the first person to say that. There's been people in the organization who said, we need more secondary scoring. So they're going to try to get secondary scoring. I don't think that's a state secret. And yeah, it's, so it's not something like the coach hasn't hidden what he wants, but. Um, oh, the thing, I, you know, I love dealing with Daryl Sutter because Daryl Sutter, there are no secrets with Daryl Sutter. He says no. what he thinks. And I really, I, I genuinely appreciate that. I don't want to, I don't want to talk to the sarcastic. I, I greatly appreciate Daryl's candor. He's he's very different than a lot of coaches. He does not do coach speak. He says what he thinks. And it's very fun to listen to. Yeah, and, and you know what? He he treats, you know, he says what he says to you guys in the media. The guys in the room know, like, he's, he's, he's you know, what he says to the media, you know how he's blunt with you guys? He's going to be just as blunt with the guys. He's going to say, hey, like, if a guy has a rough game, he might go, hey, he had a rough game. Good thing you play more good games than your bad games. Let's get back to that. You know, just something as simple as that. Let's go. You know, they they know their roles. They know what they're supposed to do. And that's part of the giant turnaround this year, which makes it so fun to watch. And the fact that we're even talking about adding at the deadline is because of Daryl, because of what he's instituted and because of what he's done. And partially because we have two absolute superstars score shooting the lights out. But it, yeah, we'll like, talk about that later. <laughs> like we'll, we'll, you know, we'll and, and next week, Shane, uh, uh, we've committed to it. Next week is the All Star break, so uh, the next time we come to you will be, I believe. Let me check. Uh, the stall for a second. Just, just for, a second? for a second. I'm. I'll give you. Uh, I can talk okay, so about. Actually, All-Star. yeah. So the 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 next time we come, we'll be recording next Wednesday, publishing Thursday. So it'll be the second. It'll be, I believe, uh, the Flames will be playing their last game for the All-Star break on February 2nd. And so we're going to have uh, a, a pretty interesting episode, I think, because Shane and I are really going to delve into the Johnny Gaudreau of, of it all. Uh, if you if you listen to F- Sports at 60 The Fan with Pat and uh, Will and Matt and the whole crew, highly recommend you do so because they've been doing some really interesting stuff just discussing uh, Johnny Gaudreau's you know, worth to, to the Calgary Flames. And we're going to dive deep. Uh, we're you know, we're going to look into sort of the nitty-gritty of you know, is Goudreau worth it? That'll probably be the the, the crux of it. Is Goudreau worth it? Because Goudreau is, you know, I, I'll say this. I've been very fortunate to, I, I saw Johnny Goudreau's first NHL game. I've basically seen his entire NHL career at this point. I have very strong opinions about Johnny Goudreau. Having seen a lot of him, pretty much his, his entire professional career, I have strong opinions. And uh, I think I think it's going to be a lot of fun because I, 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 he's so good. That's my, yeah. that's my, that's my teaser. So your teaser. Yeah, we're gonna talk, we're gonna get full on into the Johnny of things, the 
what he's what what he's perceived to be worth, what we think he's worth, what do we think he's worth to the team, all of that more next week. I mean, if it's radio, it's the it's the episode for the All Star Week. So why not talk about the team's best it's all player? all about Johnny, man. It's all about Johnny. He's on pace for 110 points. He blasted it. it was three three games ago, he was he was below a pace below 100. So it can go away just as fast as it can come. But brag to your Oilers friends right now that someone on the Flames is on pace for 110 points. Matthew Kachuk up to 95 after tonight. 95-point pace. So That's a mouthful. Speaking of a mouthful, Flavization Radio is brought to you by DoorDash and by Eau Claire Distilleries, Rupert's Whiskey, the official whiskey of the Academy Flames. That'll do it for, for this week. We'll see you guys next week. For Shane, I'm Ryan. Thank you very much for listening, and we'll see you next week. deserves the best and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact, you can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince, they exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. 
Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.